Welcome to our fourth Cottage meeting entitled Foundations of Faith. I am Juline Jackson with Moms for America, where we believe that liberty begins at home. I want you to know you are a part of the Cottage Meeting revolution going on all around the country. Study groups of moms in neighborhoods and towns all across America were coming together to learn the principles of liberty and faith and then we're going home to teach and shore up those that we love the most, which will ultimately strengthen our communities, our schools and states. Our founding fathers knew that strong families equal strong societies. And when you have strong societies, you will have strong nations. Last time we met, we discussed lesson number three, Ladies First, where we learned that we must educate ourselves first for as the women go, so goes the nation. You educate a woman and the man will be educated. Today, we will be discussing the first of the three pillars of liberty, faith, a foundation of faith. President Dwight Eisenhower said, without God, there could be no American form of government nor an American way of life. Recognition of the supreme being is the first and the most basic expression of Americanism. Today, we will discuss how God and faith were instrumental in the founding of America. Faith was the pillar of liberty that laid the foundation for freedom, for this country to grow and prosper. In the Healing of America course that Moms for America teaches each week online, in the seminar number one, we learn how God's hand was in the establishment of America and the Constitution, how he used Joan of Arc, Christopher Columbus, our pilgrims, and our founding fathers to do this. He was a God of miracles then, and he still is a God of miracles now. This Healing of America seminar will give you a bedrock foundation of American history and the Constitution. You will learn what has gone wrong with America and how we can heal it. You will love this 16-week series. The classes go for one hour each week. I teach them. It's free. If you miss a class, we record them and put them on the website. So sign up at momsforamerica.us. This Healing of America course could also be something you study together in the future in your cottage meetings. In the 5,000-year LEAP book that we will refer to often in our cottage meeting lessons, we will also study and learn the principles of liberty that our founding fathers used to form the basis of our government. There is a coordinating bookmark that you can get on our online store with all the 28 principles on the back. I have carried these bookmarks around for years in all my books, in my purse, in the car, which has made it easier to review and to memorize them. As you become familiar with or memorize these principles, it will allow you to speak with greater authority. As we see so many frustrated people today lashing out in emotionalism, fear, anger, and ignorance, Principles are universal, and they really transcend party and politics. You will always speak from a stronger position when you speak principle and truth. 
That is what is so powerful about knowing and even memorizing these 28 principles of liberty. You will be able to explain why you believe in an issue and you'll be able to back it up. You will become more confident in your ability to have conversations with family and neighbors and people who have opposing ideas from yours. You will also be able to speak more impactfully before school boards and city councils and in community events. These 28 principles really will become your dear friends. They will have your back and you will feel it and know it. In the Promises of the Constitution, vignette 13.2, on page 284, it talks about looking to God for our freedoms, not government. Our inalienable rights, which are our God-given rights, are referred to in the Declaration of Independence. The Constitution protects those God-given inalienable rights. Knowing this helps us to better understand when government overreaches into our freedoms and how we can effectively address grievances to protect our rights. Religious liberty is among our first freedoms in the First Amendment. There is a five-minute video entitled Pillar of Faith, and the link can be found at momsforamerica.us under our cottage meetings, which I would recommend watching and discussing. It talks about how in our early history, the Bible was America's book. It was used in the homes and schools to teach children how to read. It taught the founding fathers the principles of freedom and representative government. They called the Bible the rock upon which our nation was founded. Thomas Jefferson gleaned ancient principles of eternal law, as he called it, from the first five books in the Old Testament, and he embedded them in the first two paragraphs of the Declaration of Independence. Recently, I visited Springfield, Illinois, home of Abraham Lincoln and home to his presidential library and museum. It was fabulous and a must for you and your family's bucket list, I think. It showed in one of the museums how Abe's mama taught him how to read and sound out letters and vowels through the Bible. No wonder President Lincoln heralded the Bible as God's greatest gift to mankind. Horace Greeley, an American newspaper editor, famously said, it is impossible to enslave mentally or socially a Bible-reading people. The principles of the Bible are the groundwork for human freedom. And George Washington Carver, the most prominent black scientist and inventor of the 20th century, attributed the Bible as the secret to his success. And even General Robert E. Lee credited it as his unfailing source of light and strength in his darkest hours. I have found a wonderful way to teach the Bible to my children through a book called The Bible Story, published by Libraries of Hope, available on our Moms for America online store. It presents the simple stories of the Bible in chronological order while retaining the beautiful language of the King James Bible. So your kids get used to that old world language and will ultimately understand and revere and will call upon those great stories of faith and heroism and courage and compassion to see them through in their life. 
In the morning, when I have a devotional with my youngest daughter, Marie Hadassah, she sits and eats breakfast at the kitchen counter. And one of the things I read to her is one of the stories from the Bible story book, and then we discuss and apply it to her life in eighth grade. Imagine what fun conversations we have over oatmeal in the morning with my girl and the Bible. So what are some of the ways you study the Bible individually or with your family? If we are to promote liberty and maintain the republic, we must bring the Bible back into our homes and our hearts. Without this pillar, the other two pillars of virtue and patriotism, which we will talk about in the next two lessons, will not be enough to sustain liberty. Just like the legs on a three-legged stool, it takes all three standing together to provide the stabilization needed against the attacks on our nation's founding principles. There is a three-part series entitled Fires of Faith. They are 50-minute episodes that talk about the coming forth of the King James Bible. The link is available on our website. You could watch it individually at home and then come together to discuss. Okay, let's look at some of the Bible verses that connect faith and freedom. In Isaiah 54, verse 13, it tells us, Thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be their peace. You know, I just want to talk for a moment about that. Recently, all of our five children, ages 26 to 13, met up in Bethany Beach, Delaware for our Beach Week. Now, this is something we've done most of their growing up years and now into adulthood where three of our kids have spread their wings and don't live at home anymore. So it's a joy to have them come back and each morning we would gather together in our little devotional, just like in the olden days, as we'd say, before we set out for the beach. Each day, someone would take a turn leading the devotional as they would open up their scriptures and we would read together, and then one of them would lead us in a discussion. Because the kids have been taught from the Word throughout their life, they taught quite naturally and with, e with ease. Our oldest daughter and her husband have just moved across the country, and he's starting PhD school, and she has a new job in Washington, D.C. Our oldest son, right then, was negotiating his next contract in the MBA with his team, and I could tell it was weighing on his mind. And then our other daughter, who is heading into her senior year at college and lives across the country, was getting ready to switch jobs with a significant pay raise and responsibility, and she was even moving into a new apartment with a new roommate. I could tell my three older kids were growing up and experiencing the stresses and anxieties that come along with pivotal decisions of adulthood. It was wonderful for me and my husband to see how they wove their experiences and their worries into the scriptures as they taught the devotional and how they knew that God would watch over them and bring peace to them through all their transitions if they just continue to look to him and obey his words. I saw this scripture from Isaiah come to life in my children. Mamas, if you will teach your children from the Bible and the things of God, they will have peace through the highs and the lows of their life. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, it says, if we seek his face and humble ourselves, repent and turn from our evil ways, God will heal our land. 
In 2 Corinthians 3, 17, it says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. What is the connection between faith and family and freedom in these verses? God is in government. He knew we needed a maximum environment of freedom in order to be able to worship him freely. I think that is why he's so interested in liberty and agency, because the type of government his children live under determine our ability to access him and his powers to heal and change and inspire the human mind. In the supplemental material, for presentation four, there is an article entitled Born Free by Kimberly Fletcher, the president of Moms for America. For 5,000 years, people have lived in grass houses, plowed fields with bare hands, lived every day just to survive. In over 200 plus years, however, we've gone from grass houses to Victorian mansions, wagons to motor cars, Pony Express to Federal Express, it all began with the simple knowledge that men are born free. Our founding fathers just didn't come up with this idea and thought they'd try it out. They studied centuries of history repeating itself. They witnessed the tyranny and the oppression firsthand under King George III. They knew that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. They knew there had to be a better way. They found that better way at the foot of their mother's knee as she read to them the stories of the Bible. Each night, families would gather together and read the stories that gave them hope and direction and understanding. They read about the faith and unwavering obedience of Abraham, the courage of Stephen, the steadfastness of Job, the charity of Ruth. They read of Daniel's and David's courage to go up against lions and giants, and Esther sacrificing her own well-being to save her people. They read about Joseph mastering his passions and later preparing Pharaoh's people for coming famines by storing food for seven years, an act that made Egypt the richest nation in the world for centuries. They read the Sermons on the Mount, where Jesus taught the attributes a person needs to humble themselves. And when they read those powerful words of Paul, when he stood before King Agrippa stating, I was born free, they came to the understanding for the first time in centuries that their rights came from God and not from man. They read of the Israelites who knew that they were free but begged for a king and traded their freedom for a monarchy because freedom was just too much work. Because the founding fathers were living witnesses to the evil and the oppression of this type of government, they must have viewed this struggle as the same as trading a divine birthright for a bowl of soup. The Bible was the foundation that cultivated the soil of liberty, and America was the venue God chose to house it. The simple, consistent act of reading the Bible together as family, that knowledge that man's rights come from God and not from government, was infused in their soul. Our founding fathers learned all the key ingredients to a free society in those well-worn pages. 
It has been said that one third of all of our founding fathers' speeches, quotes, ideas, even in our founding documents came from the principles contained in the Bible. The Bible teaches self-mastery, self-reliance, self-sacrifice, and self-governance. They knew that they had found a better way. Principle 10 in the 5,000-year leap tells us that the God-given right to govern is vested in the sovereign authority of the whole people. So our founding fathers wove this into the Declaration of Independence, that the government operates at the consent of us, the governed. Our founding fathers learned freedom from the Bible, that when they signed the Declaration of Independence, they knew that they were going up against Goliath. And when they pledged their lives and fortunes and sacred honors, they, like Daniel and Esther, knew that they were sacrificing their lives and well-being for what they knew to be right and true. And in 1776, we saw the fruits of their labors as 56 men raised with an understanding of these principles pledged it all for the greatest contribution of freedom ever made on the earth. And when they penned the words, we hold these truths to be self-evident, they did so with the words of Paul echoing in their ears, and they knew they were born free. For over a century, settlers to this new world learned what freedom meant. And for the next two centuries, they lived under these divinely inspired documents. Now in this century, we are in danger of losing it. These are troubling times ahead for our nation. Now more than ever, we need those timeless stories of faith and courage and freedom from the Bible in our <coughs> lives. These are the stories that touched the hearts of our founding families, and they are the stories that will revive the spirit of liberty in the hearts of this generation and leave their imprint on generations to come. John Quincy Adams, the sixth president of the United States and son of John and Abigail Adams said, so great is my veneration for the Bible that the earlier my children begin to read it, the more confident will be my hope that they will prove useful citizens to their country and respectable members of society. It's interesting to note that his mama, Abigail Adams, read the Bible to her children every morning. Question. What are some of the stories or favorite characters from scripture that you remember learning or were taught? And how did it impact you as a child or an adolescent or a woman today? In the 5,000 year leap, principle four and five tells us that without religion, the government of a free people cannot be maintained. And all things were created by God. Therefore, we are all equally dependent and responsible to him. I would recommend reading the chapters that go along with principle four and five in the 5,000 year leap and have a mom read and report on it and discuss. In the fourth principle, what was considered the tenets of sound religion according to Benjamin Franklin? And if he said there was sound religion, he might be implying that there would be some unsound religions. And what might those look like today? What did the Northwest Ordinance adopted by Congress in 1787 say that children should be taught in schools? Remember, 
They wanted not only knowledge taught, but morality and religion as well. Why do you think that was? In the Healing of America seminar number three, we learn about how national testing scores and college readiness and the emotional stability of our children has declined as we took God and prayer and Bible out of the schools in the 1950s and 60s. Imagine sharing those kind of facts in public comment before your school board. In the supplemental material, there is a heart-gripping testimony by Daryl Scott, a father of a teenage girl killed at Columbine High School in 1999, over 20 years ago. This dad testified before a House committee in Washington, D.C. shortly after this massacre, where 12 fellow students and one teacher was killed and 20 other students were injured by two boys that attended that high school, then would turn the guns on themselves. I'm sure this hearing in Washington, D.C. before this committee had to do with gun control and the measures to restrict the Second Amendment, that of bearing arms and protecting ourselves. The father of this slain girl in his testimony said, yes, the first recorded act of violence was when Cain slew his brother Abel out in the field. The villain, however, was not the club used nor is it the guns being used today in crimes. The true killer was Cain. The reason for the murder could only be found in his heart. Mr. Scott said how amazed he was days after the massacre, how many people pointed fingers at the NRA. He said, look, I'm not a member of the NRA. I'm not a hunter. I don't even own a gun, he said, but they are not the reason for my daughter's death. He said, I am here today because Columbine was not just a tragedy. It was a spiritual event that would force us to look where the real blame lies. Then he read this poem that expressed his feelings best. Your laws ignore our deepest needs. Your words are empty air. You've stripped away our heritage. You've outlawed simple prayer. Now gunshots fill our classrooms and precious children die. You seek for answers everywhere and ask the question why. You regulate restrictive laws through legislative creed, and yet you fail to understand that God is what we need. He said, men and women are three-part beings. We consist of body, soul, and spirit. When we refuse to acknowledge a third part of our makeup, we create a void that allows evil and prejudice and hatred to rush in and wreak havoc. Spiritual influences have always been in the schools since our founding, he said, and many of the major colleges were theological seminaries. This is a historical fact, he reminded us. He asked, what has happened to our nation we have refused to honor God, and in doing so, we have opened the door to hatred and violence. So when a terrible tragedy like Columbine occurs, politicians or pundits want to immediately look to scapegoats like the NRA to pass more restrictive laws to erode our personal liberties. This is not the answer, Mr. Scott says. We need a change of heart 
and humble acknowledgement that this nation was founded on a principle of simple trust in God. Mr. Scott apparently had two kids at the high school that day. He said, as my son Craig lay under the table in the school library and saw his two friends murdered before his eyes, my boy did not hesitate to pray in school. I defy any law or politician to deny him that right. Whew, that was a powerful article, and I would really recommend reviewing it together. What are some of the things we are blaming violent behavior of our youth on today? Guns, racism, cops, COVID? What do you think about this father's observation? How has taking God and prayer and Bible reading out of the school impacted the well-being of young people today? Can you see it? You know, for some, faith might just come naturally. Maybe you had parents who practiced faith. You came from a line of churchgoers. For others, you maybe didn't have that example, so it has to be cultivated a little more carefully and nourished before it can sink roots and grow. In Joshua 24, 14, it tells us to fear God, to serve him in sincerity and truth, and to put away false gods and to serve the Lord. What might that mean or look like to you? How does serving God cultivate and grow faith? In the supplemental material, there is an article entitled, A Time for Remembering. It tells the story of the miracle of the Old South Church in Boston, Massachusetts in 1746. Are you familiar with this story? If not, I'm not really surprised because they don't teach these kind of stories in most schools. That is why it's so important that we are learning these miracle stories so we can pass them down to our children and grandchildren and preserve them. Can I just give you a quick recommendation? I would read a story every night to my kids out of this book, The Miracle of America, Birth of a Nation. And this story of the Old South Church is in this wonderful book. I have sweet memories of the kids in their jammies listening intently at night to these miracles. Well, it was the autumn of 1746 in Boston, Massachusetts. The town was in turmoil. The most powerful fleet in the world at the time was sailing from France, 70 ships carrying 10,000 French troops with a mission to burn Boston to her very foundation. The governor declared a day of fasting and prayer to petition the help of the Almighty God to deliver them from this pending horrific French invasion. The fleet was almost at their doorstep. The Reverend Thomas Paine from the pulpit of the Old South Church prayed before his congregation. The morning was clear and calm. Reverend Paine cried, Deliver us from our enemy. Send thy tempest, Lord, upon the waters. Scatter the ships of our tormentors. Sink their proud frigates beneath the power of the wind. He had scarcely pronounced the words when the sun was gone and the morning darkened. A wind shrieked so hard the church bells began to ring. Reverend Payne paused in his prayer, both arms raised. We hear thy voice, O Lord, we hear it, as tears streamed down his face. That day, the young 10-year-old John Adams was in that South Church meeting house when Reverend Prince prayed for heaven's intervention. 
John Adams would go on to say, I became a patriot that day as he witnessed that miracle. And we know John Adams would go on to change the history of America and the world because of it. So at that very hour, a hurricane had blown in along the eastern seaboard, scattered the entire French fleet with 4,000 Frenchmen sick from a pestilential fever, 2,000 dead, including their commander. The vice admiral threw himself on his sword. The French attack never happened. The few remaining ships, half man, sailed back home. You know, a few years ago, I was in Boston, and I wanted to go visit this church where this great miracle took place. So I excitedly approached the building. There was not a sign, not a placard, not a monument to the 1746 miracle. I asked a guide to tell me the story. She didn't know it. I went to the bookstore to see if there was a book on it. Nothing. The miracle was totally forgotten or unknown by those who worked there and probably to everyone visiting that site that day. Karl Marx, the communist revolutionary, stated that a people without a heritage are easily persuaded. He also said that religion is the sign of the oppressed creature. No surprise, he was an atheist. Our heritage is rich with accounts of faith and courage and the saving hand of God. To many of the rising generation, however, they're unfamiliar with these great miracles and stories and patriots of the past. Has the day of miracles ceased in regards to America? Dare we believe that God will come to our aid, just like those praying in the Old South Church that autumn day in 1746? I believe he will, mamas, and I think all of you believe that as well. Hope is on the horizon as modern-day patriots connect with the faith and the character and patriotism of the past. This connection can be found in one word, remember. Remember the bravery and the sacrifice. Remember the perseverance and the faith. Remember the heroes. Remember those who have become or are becoming lost. During this wave of being woke, I went to the grocery store recently and I purchased some syrup. The next morning, as all the kids were in the kitchen, I looked again at that syrup bottle. It looked exactly like the Aunt Jemima syrup, but with a new name and no picture of her. I thought, hmm, maybe it's a cheap knockoff. But then I realized it was the Aunt Jemima syrup. They had changed the name as not to offend and took her off the bottle. And it was now called the Pearl Milling Company Syrup. Now, that doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. I had actually remembered reading an article recently that the Aunt Jemima on that syrup bottle was a real woman, Nancy Green. She was born a slave in 1834. And after the Civil War, she was discovered by the Davis Mill Company. And she became the top brand promoter of their syrup and made over $19 million in her lifetime. What an amazing story of overcoming, rising up from slavery, using free enterprise principles. Way to go, Mrs. Green. 
Not to mention the story of the South, of black and white coming together after the war. Who would think pancakes would be a part of this healing? It was said that her family and descendants were so disappointed by this change, as now her story, Nancy Green's story of triumph and victory, will become lost and unknown to future generations. The word remember carries great power because it maintains a link to the lessons of history and the inspiration of the past. Question, what are you doing to help your children and grandchildren remember the great stories and people and miracles of the past? Tell the stories of faith in God, mothers. Know those stories. Our last story today describes the Constitutional Convention, that hot summer of 1787, when the delegates had reached the tipping point, many threatening to leave, abandoning the work of writing the Constitution. Quietly, Benjamin Franklin, the oldest delegate and most respected statesman at 81, arose to address the convention. He called them to pray. I have lived a long time, he said, and the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of man. If a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? He then implored them to pray for the assistance of heaven and God's blessings upon this deliberation every morning. His words had a sobering effect upon the delegates, and they stayed and continued on with the work of writing the Constitution. If you haven't had a chance to visit Mama's Independence Hall in Philadelphia, where this great convention took place, I would highly recommend it. Some might say, we are at the tipping point of this nation. It might just be our daily prayers that remind us that God governs in the affairs of our life and this land. I had a mama tell me the other day, she gets so discouraged sometimes as she watches the news and sees what's going on. And then she said, sometimes the only thing I can do is to pray. I think that is actually one of the greatest gifts we can give to our family our example and testimony of prayer. If we do nothing else, let us instill in our children this foundation of faith. Recently, we got a phone call from Frankie, our 23-year-old basketball player. He told dad, I just prayed for help. I'm about to go into my NBA's team's general manager and negotiate my contract in my future. And he asked if we would pray for him. Honestly, my heart soared when my husband came and found me and asked me to pray for Frankie. If we can teach our kids to go to God in their hour of need, this nation shall endure. Frankie called a few hours later to say they had a great conversation. The general manager answered his questions and reassured him even before he had to ask. If our children and grandchildren know that it is the Lord who gives us help and comfort and guidance, they will be a tremendous force and light to many in the world, and they will know with assurity how to fight the battles ahead. Truly, God can heal us, our homes, our communities, and our land as we turn to Him.
you know my favorite scripture in 2 Chronicles 7.14, pray, seek his face, humble ourselves, turn from our wicked ways, and he will heal our land. I am so grateful for our founder's foundation of faith, and now it is up to us to remember and pass it on so our rising generations can carry on this flame of freedom. Let's review our questions for discussion. Number one, what are some of the ways you study the Bible individually or with your family? Number two, what are some of the stories or characters from scripture that you remember learning or were taught and how did it impact you as a child or as an adolescent or a woman today? Number three, what was considered the tenets of sound religion according to Benjamin Franklin found in principle four of the 5,000 year leap and what might be some unsound religions of our day? Also, discuss the Northwest Ordinance that was adopted by Congress in 1787 and why our founding fathers wanted three things taught in school, morality, religion, and knowledge. How might you effectively testify before the school board about this? Number four, what are some of the things that we are blaming violent behavior of our youth on today? What do you think about this father's observation that Columbine was not just a tragedy, but a spiritual event? And how has taking God and prayer and Bible reading out of the school impacted the well-being of young people today? Talk about Joshua 24, 14, how it tells us how we can cultivate more faith in God. What might that mean or look like to you? And number six, how do we help our children and our grandchildren remember the great stories and people and miracles of the past? Sweet mamas, let our homes be houses of prayer, of the Bible, of learning and remembering. Let's teach by example. When we pray, God listens. When we obey, God acts. As we teach our children the greatness of God and the foundations of faith upon which this nation was established, they will know hope is on the horizon as they connect with faith and character and patriotism of the past. Take care for now, mamas. We'll see you soon. Hey everybody, how did you like that lesson today? If you would like to um, open your mic and uh, jump in for discussion, raise your hand and uh, or put it in chat, let me know. I just, Thank it you. was beautiful, it was wonderful. Um, yeah, it's got me a lot of thinking. I do, I have a question on just other people's advice on how to, my children are all adult children and I just really want ideas on how to incorporate all this now that they're all out of the home. But anyway, carry on with the discussion and I'm sure. Well, I'll give you what Julene would say if she was here. She's actually um, still in Egypt this week. So that's why we're doing her video, which is this is how you'll do your cottage presentations next year. The three steps to invite your friends, press play and to discuss. So we're going to discuss 
And Melanie, I'll tell you what she does with her kids every day, her, all of her adult kids, is she sends them a little Bible scripture every day um, through a text message. She texts them often with the scripture or maybe something about a current event. And so she keeps in touch with her kids um, and sharing those devotionals. And I know whenever they get together, they still have those family devotionals every day. And I've been in Jolene's home and I've come down the stairs at very early in the morning and they're on their knees in the kitchen and they're doing their devotional and they're praying. And sometimes they sing a little song and I tell you, for me personally, that's like the greatest thing I could experience because when somebody's teaching you and you know that that's that they're living it, it makes it so much easier to accept it. Right. So um, I just to answer your question, I would say send your text. Um, Does anybody else have a suggestion for Melanie about that? There we go. Sorry about that. Uh, I, I didn't necessarily have a suggestion. I just wanted to say this was just a marvelous, fabulous lesson. And I, I also wanted to know the book um, that the miracle book, because what a great idea to, to read those kind of stories or just kind of summarize them. And because and, my kids like Melanie, my kids are um, all out of the house and and you know but i have some opportunities they they'll come back and and like i'm I, i'm not sure how to approach it and what to say because they'll say oh ma that's stupid or they won't listen so um i'm trying to like get some stories together and maybe text them uh you know some some things to start with and then when they come just take the opportunity to, to share something i heard um, because there's just so many wonderful, 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 um, stories that I hear. And, and that's what I love about this, this whole pro, this, um, you know, a whole program is because the stories are so, they, they have make such an impression and it's not like going to school and learning facts. It's like, oh, you're really impressed and, and it moves you and it inspires you that these things actually happened and, you know, I, I just, I can't say it like Julene does, but Nobody I'm like dying can, to share this with my kids. <laughs> you know, I will show you this story Bible. I don't have the miracles um, of the nation yet. I don't know why I haven't bought that one, but I know uh, Julene called it a Bible story, but it's actually called the story Bible. And these are like the, the shortest little things. I mean, they're like just a few paragraphs from here to here. I mean, so we all have time every day to do one of these, you know, like Joseph's coat of many colors and dreams of his brothers. I mean, it's not even that much. It's so simple for us to bring these into our home. Or I know Julene likes to share Bible scripture also um, with her children um, every day. So, Gerald, just, and you know what, you think your kids aren't listening, but they are. So, just mamas, just keep doing what we're doing or and start to incorporate these principles that Julian teaches us each week. And you'll start to see a significant change, whether your children are at home or if they've, you know, left the nest and they're raising their own children now. Yvette, I know the Bible is really important in your house and your family. So how have you used it to um, 
to promote that faith of God in your home? So um, to Melanie, so I have one of my adult children who, you know, became wayward um, as a teenager and it was a hard fought battle for his spiritual wellness. And mama just prayed every single day. Um, He came out of it at like about 22 years old. But again, I was kind of like you at that age, wondering how can I get him back into the fold? So what mama did is mama started sending him a Bible a year. And it was a Christmas present. And that has now become a tradition because there are so many different versions of the Bible. Um, Now what I send is then last year, I sent my grandkids the Action Bible. And in the foreword, I wrote in it from Yaya to my grandchildren, may you grow up with God in your life and let daddy read this every single night. And I've just got to tell you guys, my son is now in church in Guyton, Georgia with his family, and he is 27 years old. So it takes mama's praying and planting the seeds. And I'm telling you, they come back. So I hope that blesses everybody today. Thank you, Yvette. All right. What were some of the uh, stories or characters from scripture that have impacted you that you've shared or that maybe had a profound um, uh, change to you and your family? And if anybody else wants to jump on, just raise your hand. So, Jean, do you have something you want to share? Do you have a uh, favorite story or character? I really, I just, before you do that, I really enjoyed the video this morning. It was very motivational, very exciting. And I can't wait to start a group here and begin using those things. A lot of those stories we've probably heard in the past, but we've forgotten. Me, I homeschooled my children and we went through a lot of those years ago, but now it's time to review them and start a new new level of teaching. Awesome. Nicole, you have, do you have um, a story or a character or something impactful that you shared or are you new to sharing scripture? Where are you at within your stage? Uh, hi, everyone. Um, I'm somewhat new. I did not grow up in the church. Uh, so um, I've been uh, trying to you know, get as involved as I can and learn as much as I can, going to Bible studies and participating in women's groups. But, um, you know, so it, to me, I'm constantly learning new things and I love that. And it, But it was funny, um, just this week, um, I'm in a Bible study, a women's Bible study currently about Joseph um, and about waiting and trusting. Um, But the question came up, and I can't remember what it was, but for some reason, it, it, you know, I think it was the whole, like, waiting for things to change. And and what we were supposed to pray for injustices in our world, basically. And, um, And for some reason, that spurred the memory of me going back to like miracles of, I haven't read that miracles book and I'm super excited to, but it did remind me of some of the miracles that occurred 
uh, during the Revolutionary War that really, you know, there really is no other word for them other than miracles. And that was because, and they came after days of prayer. Um, and like you said, that, that um, in the story, in, in the video, they were talking about that, that you know, the day of prayer as the French were coming and, and the minister, you know, uh, praying um, in front of them all. And I was sharing that with the ladies to, you know, tell them that, you know, we do need to return to that um, type of those days of prayer for everybody can be so powerful, um, especially in these troubled times that we're living in right now. Um, so it was neat to be able to share that kind of American history background with them, even though we were studying Joseph, uh, that it was, um, you know, still applicable. <laughs> it's amazing how those things that happened so long ago, we can find them to use them to put, um, to teach our children and to understand where we found and where our country was founded, where we're going and why we're so exceptional. And, how important it is for us to teach these stories to our children, I think, so we can, you know, continue freedom and liberty in our country. That's one of the most important things I think we can do as a mom. So Sonia says she used scripture stickers as I read my scriptures and it helps me ponder more on what I'm reading. Julene talks about she, her book is like, rubber band and taped together because she's used it for so long and she puts it on her knee when she does her morning devotional with their family and I think she recently had to get a new one because the other one was just falling apart and um, I also know the uh, bookmark the 5,000 year leap bookmark that she talked about I have those so if anybody would like one um, you can email me and I'll send you out a couple of those, but she does keep those with her. She, she does um, memorize them. And I know uh, Tyler, I don't know if Tyler's on here. Um, she used them when she, you know, presented, she used the scripture. She uses those principles from the 5,000 year leap. So I think we can all, no matter what stage we're at, we can find something from some of all these resources to start incorporating to us. Uh, Brianne, um, I'm going to put it in chat. I'll put my email in chat for you. Gloria, I know you do your family devotionals. Do you want to share? Sure. Um, in the mornings, uh, my husband and my two boys and myself, we just read from the word. And then in the evening, probably four times a week, then I do my time with the boys and I read them from the uh, story Bible. And then also uh, from either the, uh, the, the American stories or American history. Uh, that's also from the Liberties of Hope uh, or Libraries of Hope. Li you know what I'm saying? Libraries of Hope. Libraries of Hope. So um, that's what I do with them. And then last night I, I did let them, uh, we watched, I had already watched it, but I watched the uh, Ben Carson breakfast uh, speech. So I watched that. We watched that last night. So, yeah, so I'm definitely weaving in those, those um, history principles. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Let's see. What's our next? 
All right, let's um, jump over to um, the Columbine dad. How emotional and what a beautiful poem. I lived in that area and my husband actually um, worked for a group home so that he was there in the school that day when all of that happened. And it was just right the first time that that had really happened in America and was traumatic. And I think what a beautiful tribute that his, that his father wrote. So how do you think that of what he said that we need to look to ourselves to, and not blame the guns and the gun violence and, and those things. So, um, Yvette here. Um, so we also know people in that area, new people in that area. Loveland, Colorado is right close to there. And, um, my son's father, you know, grew up in Loveland, Colorado and, um, you know, again, what that father wrote, I remember following that. I remember when it happened. I remember how the news presented it. And, you know, here's something that I always tell people, you know, the car isn't the one that killed that person, right? It was the driver driving the car that made the car hit somebody. Um, a, a gun is just a tool and in the wrong hands can become a weapon. So what I I like to do, especially because I am in the public eye a lot, I speak at a lot of functions, and I like to teach people that, you know, teach your children to respect those tools, because my children have never, ever gone to touch them, but we also keep them locked up. I never left my teenagers in the house with access to any of our firearms, Um it's just a paramount thing because teenagers and having three boys and now my daughter, it's such an emotional roller coaster. Some days my daughter was at the kitchen table just the other day crying hysterically and not knowing why she had just had a great day at school. And, you know, and I looked at my husband and I said, this is why we don't leave firearms because actually it's to me, it's a devil's tool and they get in the heads. I mean, I think about it in my own life. The devil is always trying to put fear into my life because I do public speak a lot. And he's always on the way telling me, you know, you can't do this. Who do you think you are? You shouldn't get up in front of people. And I just have to stop that immediately and say, I am who I am because of God. And I believe that all of my children respect firearms. They, as adults, now keep them away from their children. But it's a healthy respect. They taught them at young ages. I teach mine at young ages. This is a tool and we do not use it in anger. We use it in self-defense. And that father was amazing the way he explained that. Those two boys were heavily problems in their minds. Um, and I also teach, taught my children after that incident in high school you know, you know your friends and enemies the best in school. You know when someone is acting different, report it. You know, when they come wearing a trench coat and it's what, 80, 90 degrees outside, report it. Because I think, you know, kids also get into the habit of they just see each other and, they, oh, that's a weird guy, so we stay away. But I kind of teach my kids kind of try to get close to those people just so that you can protect yourself. And again, 
I don't know if that was George Washington that said that, but, you know, friends close, but enemies closer, uh, prepare for the worst, but pray for the best. I know George Washington did say that. And um, sometimes those people need prayer. And I do know that my son, my 27 year old in high school took me to heart. There was a teacher and there was a student who was six feet tall. Now my son is six foot two and he was a football player. There was a football player in a five foot two teacher's face. He got between the teacher and the guy. And guess what? That, that child, that teenager had a weapon on him. And he came home just ashen from school that day. And he said, mom, you know, I just did what I thought was right. What God would want me to do. He said, I didn't even know he had a gun on him, but because my son kind of stepped in front and I believe it was the whole protection armor of God. He spoke to the guy. He was on the football team with him. He was able to talk him down. And then that's how security then came in and found the gun. So I shudder to think if my son hadn't have done that, what might have occurred if this guy just kept getting in this teacher's face? So again, that's just a story that I, I thought of speaking back to Columbine, but we just, we just educate, we educate, we educate that a firearm is a tool and that we need to use it in self-defense, not in violence. That's so true. And it's about personal responsibility and what we do in our homes, right? How we protect those things that could become a weapon. Um, let's see, I just saw a good one. Where is it at? Uh, Liz, you asked, what about moms that struggle to believe in God? I'll tell you my personal story and I'll abbreviate it. But basically when we did these lessons last year for the first time, I told Julene, she always likes to start with the prayer. And I said, don't ask me. I'm like, I don't do the prayer. Mine's rub-a-dub-dub. Thanks for the grub. Yay, Jesus. I'm just not there. I'm not there. So as I went through these I, these lessons last year, I, I felt them starting to change my heart. I mean, I grew up in a family. We went to church three times a week, but because of other reasons, it just was not, it just was not for me with how I grew up. And because of these 12 lessons, when February came and my husband and I were in a very um, dangerous, difficult situation during the snowstorm here in Texas. I just started praying out loud. And it's because of what I learned in the cottage meetings. And it brought my husband peace as we were driving in very, very dangerous um, conditions. And so I was able to pull this, you know, these cottage meetings and they personally changed me. And that's why I bring up what Jolene did in her own home, because I had grown up where it was hypocrisy and I didn't see people living what we're learning in church three times a week. But Jolene was able to change my heart because of because of her example. So there are going to be moms that like me that, I mean, I believed in God, but it was my own prayer. I didn't pray out loud, certainly not in public, you know? And after that snowstorm and we were trapped for like four days where we were, we were doing the cottage meeting on the Wednesday. And I'm like, Julie, I have no power. I can't even host this meeting. I said, but you know what? I said next week when I'm back, I want to do the prayer. So now sometimes you'll see me do the prayer. And I know my husband will walk by and he's like, you're praying. 
but you know, it's, it started to become very natural for me. And at that moment, he wasn't that type of person either, but he felt the power when I asked the Lord to just wrap us in his protection to get us through this very perilous time. So I always say, you know, we can't just preach to the choir. We need to try to lovingly bring our women to this, that maybe they don't have the strong foundation of faith. But if we do it gently and we start to share these stories, I can tell you from personal experience, it will have a profound impact on them. So it's not, these are not just for the women that, you know, read the Bible every day and do those types of things. You can change somebody. And these meetings have personally changed my life. So I've been so excited to do these 12 weeks again because they're just so powerful. And when I go and speak, I tell moms, these are powerful. And I just make such a big deal about it. And you know, they're like rolling their eyes, right? They're, yeah, yeah, they're probably not that great. But you guys know when you took this first one, or maybe today's your first one, you realize very quickly the power of them. They they just they just reach into your heart. So I would say use these meetings to help bring your friends that maybe are not in the same realm of where you are with religion or God or the Bible in your home, because you, you will change hearts. You speak principally and you speak kindly and not with a judgmental um, attitude. So Liz, I hope that answers your question. You know, it, it will change. It can change your life. It will change other people's lives. And we have the power to do that. So that's my little. I know some of you have heard that story before, but I think it's always worth repeating for the moms that haven't heard it. And so I appreciate the indulgence on that. Uh, Gerald, the David Barton. Yeah, David Barton has fantastic books. Um, he has like one of the largest um, collection of um, patriotic memorabilia. And so, I mean, he really is an expert. So, all right. Anybody else have another little question or story or comment? We did this lesson last week uh, in my group and oh my goodness, it was so powerful. Um, I just felt chills through the whole thing. And even more than when I read it on my own, there's just something really powerful about coming together as neighbors. And I have some gals that joined from my church congregation that aren't quite neighbors, but they, you know, they live within my general area and it just, it was so beautiful and we all needed it so much. Um, one of the, one of my ladies that came had been having a hard day with her kids, not listening. And I, I feel like we all just left so uplifted from the messages in here. My very favorite. And I mentioned this in the chat was, um, I actually found the C-SPAN link and I highly recommend watching the actual message from Daryl Scott. I didn't know something that wasn't in here was that he actually missed a memorial service for his daughter to give this testimony and actually hearing him was so incredibly powerful and I just needed it. And I had a hard time holding back the tears while I listened to him share this poem and all of it. And it, this was just a really especially powerful one. 
And I'm, I'm so glad we have these and these resources. Yeah, they're, they're powerful. And I always tell moms until you experience it, you're going to roll your eyes and you're not going to really understand when we say how powerful they are, but you just, you just feel it right away. And Jolene is so beautiful in the way that she presents these. Say something about the, the Columbine and the guns, about, you know, the fact that it, I, yeah, I was so moved and so touched by that father's speech. Um, and it does go all the way back to Cain. And the fact that by moving the Bible, by moving prayer from school, remo removing all morality from school, that is, is really the heart of the issue. It's not the guns. Um, it, it really isn't. It's about that lack of a, a moral compass directing these kids. And when they don't have that in their homes, they and they do, they get all emotional with the hormones, as Yvette was saying, I believe, and everything, and they just don't know how to act because they don't have any moral compass. And that really is what it comes down to. Uh, for so many of these kids and in so many of these, you know, violent uh, shootings that occur is that when people don't have that moral compass, they don't, they can no longer determine what's right from wrong and they're so confused, they just lash out because they don't know what else to do and they're hurting so badly, again, because they don't have that foundation and they're just flailing and in so much pain. And so I, I really, like I said, that, that father's testimony was amazing. And we had a, um, I was able to witness a very similar kind of testimony, unfortunately. Um, we had a, a, a shooting um, on our little island where we used to live. And um, the, uh, a young woman, a young, you know, a 15-year-old girl was killed. And... Um, they quickly caught the people who did it and, um, you know, we're interviewing the father and he said, uh, you know, they're like, you know, aren't you glad that they caught the guy and that he's going to be persecuted and all this. And he was like, oh, you know, I'm going to pray for him. I, I totally forgive him. You know, he, God is going to use this for some good purpose and, you know, God will judge him, not me. And just... I remember so many people in our community were like, I, I can't believe, you know, he, he could say such a thing and how could he forgive? And, you know, that's, that's the, the power of faith that, you know, he gives us that gift. He showed us how to forgive. So we have to do it. And yeah, being witness to something like that is, is very impactful. So, um, but, you know, again, it's not, the guns that are the issue. It is the, the moral decay and the lack of a moral compass that people have that leads them to act out violently in those ways. So I just had wanted to share that and um, how, how, yeah, I really think it's, it's so important that we do go back to those main tenets as are written out in the Northwest Ordinance of, you know, morality as well as knowledge and everything. Because I know I'm, you know, it definitely, I've seen in, in my kids' schools, um, we homeschooled for a long time. They've tried public school. They've tried private school. Some are in parochial school. Uh, we, we've tried all kinds of education. And um, it, it's funny because uh, we always say, you know, some of the smartest kids out there have zero common sense. 
And it's because that morality and is not taught in schools. They just, they, they're as smart as a whip. They can, you know, quote you the quadratic equations and all this stuff, but, you know, they, they don't know the basics of right from wrong. And, you know, that's, that's frightening and scary. And that's, you know, very common though nowadays because morality has been removed from our educational systems. That is so true, Nicole. And you know what? It starts with us moms in the home. When you see those things happening, that's because they that wasn't learned in their home. We can't always look to government school to teach our children the morality. It's us to the moms. We have the we're the influence in our home. And it's it's up to us. And I I'm like applaud everybody that comes on these weeks to learn these because you're gonna share them with your other people in your circle and hopefully it will change them. Uh, Donna, did you had your hand up? Um, yes, I was just gonna say with the whole Columbine thing that what makes me incredibly sad is that that happened 22 years ago and the attitude in Washington has not changed at all. Yeah. And to me, that's, that's incredibly sad. And these are just going to keep happening until they do change. And I think one of the things that we have to add to the whole equation is also um, having fathers in the picture, in homes, in schools. And I think that's uh, been a big problem in our country also, not having a lot of fathers present to uh, guide their children. Yeah, and it's hard now, right? Because so many moms work outside of the home and you come home from a long day and you're tired. And Julina always says we have to make family time a, a high priority with whatever you know we're doing. Uh, Alice, I think you just asked what was question five. Uh, it was how can we cultivate, oh, my thing keeps changing on me. How can we cultivate more faith in God? That was our question. Did you want to comment on that, Alice? This is Katie. I just oh, look okay. through mom right now in my pajamas. So <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Um, I just want to testify that the way that I've been able to get closer to God is just by praying to God. What can I add into my life that will bring me closer to you? What can I remove from my life that is, you know, distracting me from getting involved in God's work? And just that simple prayer and doing that regularly, you know, maybe quarterly, whenever you feel moved to do that, can really help to set our lives on the right path to move closer to God, making time for our family. And when you give your time to family, that's the same as serving God. When you're serving in your community, that's the same as serving God. And when you are taking the time to educate yourself about God or about the way that God feels about freedom and the principles of our nation, you are serving God because you will be a light to the world and you can turn outward. And I testify to you that if you want to strengthen your faith, pray, <laughs> pray up the borders of your towns to be, to have evil removed from your towns, pray up the borders of your home, that it will be protected from Satan. 
pray up other families in your neighborhoods who are struggling and that need your hope and that need God's protection. Those prayers will strengthen your faith because when you start to see the fruits of that labor and see the fruits of the power of your words and the power of you connecting yourself with God and becoming one in purpose with him for the way that he wants to change our nation and the way that he wants to change the hearts of families where we live, that will strengthen your faith. You will see God's hand working in your life and you will know that faith is real. You will know that God is real, that freedom is a true principle. Everything that you're trying to gain from this, put it into action through prayer first and through your example second. Thank you, Katie. I That's beautiful. I appreciate it. I think excellent advice. Alice, I see you're unmuted. Did you want to make a comment? And then we'll go to you, Misha, right after. I was going to say that I was in a Bible study, um, and it is so helpful to be with other ladies in a Bible study, but they decided to take um, a list of names and put them in a what they called a thread where we could text one another when we had a prayer request. And that has been so powerful in building faith because at the moment that somebody needed prayer for uh, a friend, a relative, a family member, um, there was people saying praying, you know, right then and there, or they would even type out a quick prayer. And it just is so encouraging. And I would recommend that if you have a small circle of people that um, you could do that because it just builds, builds your faith so tremendously. Thank you, Alice. Misha? Yes, I just wanted to comment first to say, Julene had made a comment about we are, I don't know if she said we are soul and spirit or something like that, but I thought um, with her comment that it, when we, when we take God out of, um, I don't even know how to explain it, but when we take God out of ourselves, out of our heart, it leaves this vacuum this empty vacuum that needs to be filled. And I just thought even with the classes, there's so much is so rich in the principles and the history and everything here that is just, it's filling me. It's just, a, it's just a good feeling. I don't even know how to explain that, but I just thought it fills a vacuum and it helps to produce confidence. Like she said, in explaining uh, your position with people. So it's helped me a lot um, in that regard. But also someone had talked about the lack of fathers in the home. And I thought that was my history. I wasn't raised in the church at all. We didn't, it was just me and my mom. And I only really knew people with just a mom, like very, like she said, there was very few men, period, around. Um, and we didn't go to church. We only went to church on Easter. And that was with my great grandmother's church. And my great grandmother was the only one that I ever saw read a Bible. And we didn't even know, we didn't know anything about the Bible. We just knew that it was, there was something very sacred about it and very special about it. Cause we did go to church with her once a year. Um, 
But what I wanted to add with that was um, the answer to the first question about your childhood and something special. Because I didn't grow up reading the Bible or anything, and I was a young adult before I was um, saved. But uh, she did give me a little plate with the Lord's Prayer on it. And um, again, I hadn't read it in the Bible, but she gave it to me. And I just thought, and I read this little plate over and over, and she told me, read it before you go to bed. And then, you know, of course, pray at night before you go to bed. Those were the two things. And we never went to church. And I was, um, I was in my Bible study yesterday, and my ladies reminded me, well, they actually told me, I had never really thought about it. They said, um, I bet your grandmother prayed for you all the time because she was a very quiet woman. She never talked about her faith to, at least to me, she could have, but not to me as a child. She never really talked about her faith. She's very quiet. But when they said that, it was, it was so encouraging to me because I thought it's the little things that we do, like you had mentioned and Julene had mentioned and some ladies here had said that we forget that we are sowing seeds. Just It's just a little bit. And I had no idea, but I thought my mother never went to church. I was always with my mother, but I had a desire uh, in my young 20s um, to do that. I mean, we weren't raised like family, faith was not in the equation. It was just you grow up, you go to work, you get a job. And if you get married, great. If you don't, great. If you, it just, that just wasn't an issue. And, but she probably prayed for me to steer me in that, God steered me in that direction. And so I just want to encourage the ladies that um, sometimes we just don't know that with what our little seeds of faith are doing in the hearts of our children and our grandchildren, um, especially those who look can look completely far away from God, who seem completely uninterested. I thought I was completely uninterested. I was not interested in going to church, but when I got into college, somebody, a, a pastor came by and invited me, invited my dorm to church, and none of the girls wanted to go. And I felt, obligated to go for some reason and i did but you know i went to visit and i never went back but i think that's what it was it was that little plate that she gave me and she was a very quiet woman like i asked so anyway i just wanted to share that because i think that's what we're doing here is we're filling up these vacuums within us with all this rich history that we've missed out on or need to remember and just a little bit that we do is going to make a difference. Thank you, Misha. I think we always have to keep our ears open and for who needs prayer, right? I think it was Katie that was talking about their church has the text threads and, and things. And that's wonderful. I know for me personally, when my mother-in-law was very sick and she was in her last few days and religious religion was the farthest thing from my mind and my sister who converted to be um to Judaism 
she had her husband bring me a Bible up to the church and I, or up to the um, hospital. And I was like, wow, that's kind of weird, right? So I was like, okay. So then my husband went down on the same day. We went down so he could smoke a cigarette. And this woman came up to us and just said, can I pray for you? And I was like, wow, that's kind of weird too, right? So then we went home later that day and I got a knock. And it was some people coming to, you know, um, to pray with us at the door. And I was like, wow, I really need to be paying attention because this is three times in one day. And it's like, you never know who heart, who, what you're going to do when you reach out and touch somebody like that. And, you know, it was uncomfortable for me at that time, but at the same time, it was comforting. It was kind of difficult for me, but I was like, wow, God, even though maybe I'm not praying to him as much as I should, he's still covering me in his protection, whether I know it or not. And I think that's the point that I make is we just have to be gentle when we're talking to people that don't necessarily follow this because we can change. Misha, you're, you're a perfect example. You didn't grow up in that either, but you've come to love the Lord and to become a very significant part of your life. And I think that's that's beautiful. And I really appreciate you sharing uh, that story. All right. Anybody else before we sign off? Just one more. Some of those things just made me think. And, you know, I've had a couple of really awesome experiences. God has to use us to serve each other and to fulfill prayer. And I think some of the biggest faith building experiences have been when I've actually prayed for me to be prompted to do something to help someone else. Um, I had an incident where I just felt like I needed to get on Facebook one day and it was weird because we needed to start school. And I'm like, why am I getting on Facebook? This doesn't make any sense. But there was a call from a lady that I didn't know very well that needed help going to the ER. And I had the opportunity to go and be with her and everything just really worked. I knew, I knew that God put all of this together because of the way everything fell in. Um, Cause I had planned, okay, I'm going to drop you off at the ER cause I have my kids and I don't know what else to do, but someone else offered to take my kids. And so I was able to be with her and she ended up losing a baby. Um, and that's why she needed to go to the ER and things spiraled. Well, I had had my own miscarriages and I had not had the comfort and support that I needed, but I had learned how to be a support for others because I decided to be kind of a miscarriage doula and kind of learn how to do that. Um, but the whole point of me saying this, there, there was a whole long thing and it went over a few weeks and everything, but God puts people in our lives because he has to, he has to use us. And so if we are willing to use our hands to help others, that I think above all is the most faith building thing that you can have. But the way you have to do it is pray and be open. You have to be open to those promptings. Um, those, those kinds of things though, above anything else have taught me God is there and he is listening and he listens to every single one of our prayers. 
even if we think it's really silly. I've heard ladies like, is it okay to pray for my dog? Yeah, it's okay to pray for your dog. Whatever is important to you, God wants to hear it because he's a loving father and he wants to be able to use us in each other's lives to influence one another. So anyway. Mm -hmm. Actually, thank you so much.